The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. I'm back. I'm back. This is an actual new episode. It is not pre-recorded. I'm back from maternity leave. I am giddy to be recording with you today. I have a child. I'm a mother. I'm a full parent. And I have so much to say on the matter. I have so much to tell you guys. And I'm not going to lie, like the first two weeks of her life, I was like, I'm never going back to work. I don't want to do anything except just be with her literally all day, every day. And now that a few weeks have passed, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to start, you know, emerging from the postpartum hibernation. And I don't really have anything to say leading up to it. I'm just excited to tell you guys about labor and delivery and birth and postpartum and newborn and breastfeeding and everything. You guys had a ton of questions. I'm just going to get right into the story of all of it. And I will probably answer a lot of your questions along the way, but then I will refer back to the Q&A or the, I guess I didn't do the A part, the Q box that I put up on Instagram. And I'll answer as much as I possibly can. If I don't get to everything, I'll either touch on it next episode. I'll do a Patreon about it. I don't know. I have so much to say about this entire thing. So I think that we should just get started. First, let's take it on back to when I was about 24, 25 weeks. That's really where my birth story begins because I got a DM from somebody around that time and they said, hey, at the risk of offering unsolicited advice, I just wanted to send along this birth class that I took that really changed my perspective on birth and I thought maybe you would like it. And I was like, whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to do a birth class. You know, I didn't really want to explore anything. I just, I knew exactly what I wanted from my birth. I'm like, I'm doing a hospital, I'm doing doctors, I'm doing epidural, I'm doing all of it. And I don't know why, I just decided to click on the class and when I was looking through it, I was like, hold on, this sounds cool. This sounds great. It was a hypnobirthing class, which I get when you hear that, you're like, okay, so you're hypnotized when you're birthing? No, that's not what it is. It's basically like understanding your body and learning breathing techniques and pain management skills is basically the extent of hypnobirthing. And there's a million different classes that you can take if you are interested in this. And there's classes, there's books, it's, it's everywhere. I don't know why I hadn't heard of it, it's obviously not super like common, but I do think a lot of people are, you know, learning more about it. So I see this class and it's six weeks, it's three hours a week. And part of the class is a daddy doula class, which basically means, you know, your partner comes with you and learns all the things that you're learning. So I asked my boyfriend about it and he's, he's into it. He has a great attitude about it, by the way. I just want to shout him out really quick because he really, he went to every single class with me and it's long, it's a long class. And he just, he learned so much. He took notes. I was so impressed with him. So just shout out to, you know, having a supportive partner. So we start this class and when we're walking in, I'm like, okay, listen, if it's like super spiritual or like super woo woo, I don't want to do it. I just want to see what this is all about and, you know, get a feel for it. But let's leave if it's like, you know, she whips out crystals or something. So we sit in this class and within the first hour, my life has been changed there was so much that I did not know or understand about my own body, about birth, about labor. And it blew my mind wide open. 
And it just changed. I mean, it really not to, I'm not, I don't feel like this is hyperbole. It changed me like fundamentally. It changed me in a way I can't describe like how I see my body and, you know, my baby and everything that comes with that. So on class number two, I decide that I want a low intervention birth. I don't want to be induced. I don't want my water broken. I don't want the epidural. I want to labor at home for as long as possible. That was what I had my heart set on. And it's funny because when people, you know, express this, and I've talked to people who have had you know, unmedicated births and how people react to it. People have the most discouraging reactions. <laughs> and it really started to affect me. And I, I just kind of stopped telling people that that was what I wanted because people's reactions were so discouraging. I want to say just this goes for my whole birth story and labor and delivery postpartum, just because it happened to me or I did it a certain way. It does not in any way mean that it's going to happen to you. Like, I just, I feel like we share our birth experiences and we attach ourselves to like, you know, either the worst case scenario or what, you know, we hear like, well, this happened to that person and she hated that. And so I can't do that. Everybody's birth is so extremely specific. The only reason I'm sharing my story is just to do that. It's just to share it. It's not to give advice or tell anybody that they should do it a certain way. I do want to say that if you have somebody in your life who wants to do an unmedicated birth, maybe just like empower them a little bit. (laughs) Like maybe just like, because you don't have to do it unmedicated. And I feel like that's what people felt when I would say like, yeah, I want a low intervention birth. You know, I don't, I don't want the epidural. I don't want all of that. People were like, well, don't do that. You do not want to do that. And it's like, well, I do. It feels right to me. You know, it's this decision that me and my partner have made and it really feels right to me because that's really the only that's my reasoning behind it. People are like, oh, so you just like like pain or you just want to suffer? No, I didn't want any of those things. It just felt right to me. It just, and that's that's the the number one thing that you should go off of when you're pregnant and deciding how you want to birth, where you want to birth, who your doctor is. Like just, you just have to go off of what feels right. And that felt so right to me. And we had so many in-depth conversations about it. And for the rest of my pregnancy from like 26 weeks on, that was what was on my mind. And I was prepping. I mean, I was very much like, I mean, you guys know I loved being pregnant. Like I loved experiencing that. And so it was something that I was really enjoying, you know, like just getting ready for it. So I was doing the exercises. I was doing a lot of pelvic floor work. I was doing a lot of breathing exercises and then a lot of these like hypno tracks, which is basically just like positive affirmations. I was doing them every single night and I was really loving the preparation. So that was my plan from about 26 weeks on. And then I go into my 37 week appointment. This was like December 20th or some, or no, it was earlier. It was like the 18th or something. I go into my 37 week appointment and I had already discussed my plan with my midwife group, with everybody in my, you know, close circle, my boyfriend, my mom, everybody knew what my birth plan was. And let me just say, I went hard on my birth plan. Okay. I designed it. I laminated it. I went through bullet point by bullet point with gray, with like, I was so ready for my birth plan. I had little cards for the the nursing staff. And it was just something that I was really, really, really looking forward to because my main thing that I took away from the class and what I still really believe to this day is that a normal, 
healthy labor and delivery is not a medical emergency. It's not anything scary. It's not anything that your body should not be doing. It's not unnatural. It is something that, you know, your body, again, if it is, it's, you know, normal, quote unquote, normal, your body is meant to do this. I don't know. I'm hoping that doesn't sound wrong as I'm saying that. I just, I felt really calm about my birth because finally I was like, oh, it's not going to be emergent. It's not an emergency. It's not unhealthy or scary or weird or bad. It's just birth. It's what my body can do. So I go into my 37-week appointment. My blood pressure is high. And my midwife comes in and she's like, okay, just wait a minute. We'll take it again in a little while and we'll see where we're at. So I wait a while. She takes my blood pressure again. It's still high. She's like, okay, I need to send you to the hospital because you're going to need to be monitored for a few hours to see where you're at. You know, they're going to have to monitor you for five hours. And I was like, okay. And she says, but just so you know, if it is still high, they're going to recommend a 37 week induction. And my heart sunk. I was like, well, that's not, I don't want to do that. I really, really, really don't want to do that. And she was like, okay, well, let's just get through the monitoring of your blood pressure and then we'll see. So I go to the hospital and they hook me up and I, I sit there for, you know, four hours and I'm going through in my mind, like, there's no way that I'm going to need to get induced. Like there's no way. And it's also, it, it would have been Christmas weekend when I would have had to be induced. And it was just, it was not what I wanted at all. I had spent the last, you know, however many months of my life, four or five, whatever months of my pregnancy, getting ready for what I believe to be, you know, my birth plan. And so they monitor me. And of course it comes back that my blood pressure is high and I'm diagnosed with gestational hypertension. With gestational hypertension, the worry is that you could get preeclamptic, which means, I mean, as far as I understand it, it means that the high blood pressure is now affecting your organs rather than just your blood pressure. And that was the worry. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. All right, so I officially have a daughter. That is, that is official. I am in parenthood. And with that comes a lot of thought about what mine and my daughter's relationship will look like in the future. I am lucky enough to have a wonderful relationship with my mom, but that has not come without work and without a lot of communication. I have talked about that relationship in particular in therapy before, and my mom and I have had a lot of productive conversations about what I've gone over in therapy to make our relationship better. And I plan on using a lot of those same things in my relationship with my daughter. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, which is just not true. Relationships can take a lot of work and therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's friends or work or your significant other or your parents or your kids, whatever it is. Therapy has been a place that I can go and just have an unbiased third party give me feedback about what my relationships look like and how I can make them better. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bad. 
This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Clean Simple Eats. All right, so apparently everybody has a protein hobby these days. It's great because we have figured out that, you know, eating protein actually makes us feel full and, you know, keeps our bodies healthy and strong and all of that. That's great. However, getting a lot of protein in your diet turns out to be quite the task. It's actually way harder than I thought to get all the protein that I need, which means I need some protein dense foods that don't taste, you know, chalky like most proteins do. That's where Clean Simple Eats comes in. It's super creamy. It's delicious. You guys know this. I've talked about it forever. I have a Clean Simple Eats protein shake every single morning. I had the vanilla one yesterday. I did some coconut Greek yogurt with a vanilla protein powder and then some frozen mangoes and raspberries. It was amazing, obviously. And it got me a good chunk of protein to start my day off with. They have so many different flavors. I know a lot of people like to do the protein desserts. And I feel like the Clean Simple Eats protein flavors are perfect for this because they have things like German chocolate cake and s'mores and cinnamon roll. One of the things I love about them, of course, is their high ingredient standards. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no artificial ingredients. It is third-party tested, non-GMO, and gluten-free. So visit cleansimpleeats.com and use my code BAD10 at checkout for 10% off of your order. Once again, that is cleansimpleeats.com. The code is BAD10 for 10% off of your order. So the nurse comes in and she's, you know, she's like, okay, let's get your induction scheduled. And I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. It's, it was also in like two days. Like that was going to be like carrying to term, I guess this was not something that I knew, but 37 weeks is when you're technically to term. And I was like two days away from being 37 weeks. And so they were like, Hey, you're going to get induced on Friday. And I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't like above. I mean, I don't want to say above all else. I don't want my child to have a Christmas birthday. I was like, there's so many things wrong with this. I don't want to be induced. I don't want her birthday to be on Christmas. Like everything about it just felt so, so wrong. I'm going to try not to cry while I'm telling this story also, because it's just, it's obviously a really emotional thing. All of it just felt so wrong. And I left the hospital and I called, you know, my boyfriend, I called my mom and that, that was just what I kept saying. This is wrong. This is not how it's supposed to be. I have a plan. I know what I want to do. I don't want to be induced. I don't want all of this stuff. This isn't like my body's not ready. I don't want to force her out. I just, it, it wasn't sitting right with me. Again, this is not how everybody feels about induction. Okay. I have so many people in my life who loved their inductions, who elect to have inductions. It is just what feels right for you. Okay. That it's just something that you have to really ask, you know, ask yourself. But obviously I was in a position now where it wasn't my choice. And what was most upsetting was that now it became an emergency. Now my labor and delivery felt like it became a medical emergency, which is what I was fighting against all of these months when I was learning hypnobirthing and I was getting ready for this birth. I was so calm. I had such low anxiety about it. And then in the blink of an eye, all of these choices were getting taken from me is what it felt like. You know, it felt like I wasn't going to be able to do anything that I wanted to do when it came to my birth. And that was something that I learned in this class is that you, you know, you have a say in your birthing experience in the hospital, you get to consent to absolutely everything that happens to you. If you don't want to wear the gown, if you want to eat, all, all of these things. Of course, I'm not giving medical advice, talk to your doctor, whatever. But I just, I felt like 
all of this empowerment that I had built up over the last few months was taken from me because now all these decisions were being made for me. You know, you have to come in on this day. You're going to be induced. You're not going to be able to labor at home. We're going to, you know, and I thought, okay, I, I'm going to just try to hold on to as much of my birth plan as I can. I'm going to try to make as many decisions as I can while obviously keeping both of us safe. And I had such an incredible medical team. I just want to say like, I mean, and I'll get in, I'll talk more about it when I'm talking about the actual birth. But up until this point, the, the midwife that I was, I was working with who diagnosed me with a gestational hypertension. I mean, she sat there with me while, oh my gosh, sorry. It was just, it was such an emotional day. And she sat there with me for hours while I was just like, no, like this is not, this is not the birth. This is not right. This isn't what I want. And something that I really worried about was that the baby wasn't ready and that she wasn't ready and that I was going to put all this stuff in my body and force her out and she wasn't going to be, you know, healthy or whatever. And the midwife was awesome. And she, she just said, you know, our bodies do a lot of different things to tell us that the baby is ready. Some women go into labor, some women's water breaks, some women get high blood pressure. It just means that the baby's ready. And that did give me some comfort. But, you know, when I went home, I was just so, so not well. I, I was so emotional over this and it might sound stupid. And I think it sounded stupid to some people that I told, like I was, you know, I, I called people and I would say, Hey, I have to get induced. And people would say, Oh, that's great. Like now, you know, when she's coming and it's all good. And I'm like, no, but you don't get it because I've spent all this time being attached to what I believe was my perfect birth plan. And it was really, really hard for me to cope with, but I was trying, I was really trying. And I spent basically the next three days in shambles over it. And then the day rolls around that they say that they're going to call me for my induction. And I really want to get in as early as possible because it's so close to Christmas and I don't want her to be born on Christmas Eve or Christmas. So I, I'm calling the hospital. I mean, if you work at the hospital that I birthed at, I just want to give a public apology for how much I called because I was I mean, I was desperate to get in as early as possible, but they couldn't take me until exactly 37 weeks, which was the 20, let's see, the 22nd, wait, yeah, the 22nd of December was when I was exactly 37 weeks. So that was the earliest that they could take me, but they were going to call me that night. So I wasn't going to really start like the birthing process until the 23rd. And then I thought, well, it's going to take all day. And then I'm going to have her on the 24th. And what if they call me and they say, well, you can't come until the 23rd. So then I started 24th. Anyway, I was just, as you can tell, frazzled. I was frazzled by the entire situation. So I call about 37 million times to see if they can take me earlier, to see if they can. And finally, they call me the night of the, or wait, hold on. Let me back up. Let me back up. Let me back up. I forgot a part. I forgot a part. So on the 21st, I go back in to have my blood pressure monitored again, because I'm like, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe they will say, okay, you can wait till 38 or 39 weeks, or maybe they'll say, oh, it's too high. We need to take you right now. And I can go in on the 21st. And I was like, the 22nd is, is great. That I can, that I can do. Of course, like I said at the beginning, I learned over and over that this was not going to go how, how I thought it was going to go. So I'm in there on the 21st and my boyfriend's there with me and I'm talking to the nurse again. And I'm just saying like, you know, is there any way we can wait? I'm asking all of the questions. And so I'm like, okay, 
whatever. Can you just walk me through the induction process? And she goes, okay, well, more than likely they're going to insert something called a Foley balloon. And that's something that starts, you know, dilating your cervix. And then they're going to give you an oral medication. And I was like, okay, well, can I do that at home? Can I take that at home? And she was like, well, not usually, but we're actually doing a study right now about inserting a Foley balloon and letting women do it at home and labor at home after they have it inserted. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to do that. But then I was like, no, it's fine. I don't want to go through the process of getting accepted to the study and it's going to take forever. And then my boyfriend comes in and I swear it was the hypnobirthing class that, you know, made him really great at being my advocate because I was like, it's fine. It's, it's fine. And he was like, no, you want to labor at home. If you want to labor at home, let's do it. And I was like, it's fine. And he, and he asked the nurse to leave and he looked at me and he said, is this something that you want to do? Do you want to do it at home? And I said, yeah. So he talked to her and he said, she wants to do it. She wants to try it at home. And I don't know what it is about being in a medical like setting, but it is really hard to kind of speak up for yourself because you just assume that like the people talking to you know better than you and you should just kind of concede to what they're saying. But that's something that we all need to really work on because you deserve to speak your mind in your, you know, medical situations, whether it's birth or something else. So he really stuck up for me. He got it going for me and they called the people who were doing the study. And within like an hour, I had applied and gotten accepted to it. So they were like, you can come in tonight and get a Foley bulb and start your labor at home. And this brought me a lot of comfort because I had wanted to labor at home initially. And so it felt like I got to kind of do part of that. So we go in at like midnight on the 21st and because now I'm officially 37 weeks and they insert the balloon. So I go home with this balloon in me and I kind of cramp and like, I don't want to say labor because it wasn't, it wasn't super heavy or anything, but it was definitely some contracting and some cramping. And I did that all day on the 22nd. And they said, once the balloon comes out, you know, because by the time your cervix has dilated to the certain size that the balloon is encouraging it to, it will come out and then you will know you're dilated. They were trying to get me dilated to it too. So the balloon came out at about three and I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Now we can go in. So I call the hospital. Of course, they're like, get this bitch off our phone. Like I called so many times. I bet there is an inside joke somewhere floating around the labor and delivery about how often I called. So I'm like, hey, my balloon fell out. And they were like, okay, well, you still can't come in until tonight. We have to call you tonight. Again, I spiral. I'm upset, but I'm like, okay. I'm like nine o'clock rolls around. I call again and again and again. Finally, at about 10 o'clock, they're like, why don't you come in? I'm like, let's do it. So I get to the hospital and they admit me and I'm in the room and the first midwife comes in. I was working with like a midwife group. So there was like a handful of midwives. The midwife comes in and my first nurse comes in and she was great. And, you know, they got me set up and I was able to keep so much of the things that I wanted. You know, I wore my own birth gown, which was something that I wanted to do. I kind of controlled the environment. I had like my own lights and, you know, I didn't want the IV in a certain place. There were certain things that I was really, you know, wanting and that they allowed me to keep. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Dreamland Baby. I have never thought about sleep so much in my entire life than right now. Newborns will make you obsessive about sleep, about your own sleep, about their sleep, about their sleep schedules, about how deep they're sleeping, about when you're going to sleep next. Like It is overtaking my life. But I am here to confirm 
that the Dreamland Baby Sleep Sack has been a holy grail baby item for us in our house. She sleeps deeper, which means I sleep better. It's super easy to use. It's got the two-way zipper. It's got amazing quality materials. It's just gently weighted. So it's like, I feel like my baby likes to sleep on me and she likes to have kind of that pressure on her. So when I use the weighted sleep sack, it kind of mimics that and she sleeps way, way better, which means I sleep better. It's all I want. It's tagless. It's got the cover calm technology, which means it's evenly distributed weight. So it's not going to like the inside isn't going to slide over to one side and just have the weight on one side of her body. It's like it's on the whole thing. And it is 100% soft and natural cotton. It was invented by a tired parent. So you know that it's got tired parents in mind. So if you are also in the thick of raising babies, if you are also wanting a little bit more sleep, the Dreamland Baby Sleep Sacks are amazing. So go to dreamlandbabyco.com and enter my code BAD at checkout to get 20% off site-wide plus free shipping. This offer is for new and existing customers. 20% off. Go to dreamlandbabyco.com and use my code BAD at checkout. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is brought to you by Squarespace. I know so many of you guys listening are running your own businesses. I know that you guys are building websites, you're starting projects, and you need something that is going to make this process super easy. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or you're managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to content to time all in one place, all on your terms, no matter what your business is. Even if you don't have a physical product, Squarespace still makes it super easy. They also have something called Fluid Engine, which is a next generation website design system from Squarespace. You start with a best in class website template and you customize every design detail with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop and for mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. You can easily sell your products on the Squarespace platform. You just design your products and then production, inventory, and shipping are handled for you, saving you time and money. You can also host video content. You can have email campaigns. Anything that you're thinking you might need to grow your business, Squarespace has it. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com bad to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash bad to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. I am sitting there and the first midwife comes in and she sits with me and she she explains to me kind of why we're doing the 37-week induction. And it was so helpful because she she was like, listen, I've looked at all of your blood pressures through you know, the time you were 18 till now, every doctor's appointment that you've ever been to. And, you know, this is going to be the safest option for you and for baby is to do this. And at that point, you know, we're there, we're at the hospital. I'm like, let's do this. Let's take what's going to come and just get her here, you know, safely and keep me healthy and let's do it. So they start me on another balloon, on a bigger balloon to get me dilated to a four was the goal. So, and at this point, I just want to say, I was still, you know, very much keeping in mind my birth plan, what I wanted. And I had communicated that to everybody who came in the room. So they had a copy of my birth plan and I had one hanging in the room and Gray was obviously very well versed in my birth plan. And we both knew what I wanted to happen. So I told them that I'm like, Hey, just so you know, I know that we're doing this induction, but I would like to avoid as many interventions as possible because 
you know, you know, let's do what we need to do and I will be flexible with it, but let's try to keep that in mind. And every single person was so amazing. They were like, 100%, we will keep as much of your birth plan as we can. So they hook me up and they get me started on this bigger Foley balloon. And it's, it's not awesome, but like the, the hypnobirthing really works. Like, I don't really know how else to tell you guys, but these breathing techniques really, really work. And I, I, I was on this balloon and I was cramping and contracting all through the night, but I, I had had these techniques and like these mindsets and these affirmations that really helped me get through this initial dilation. They had also given me an, an oral medication. What was it? Uh, can't remember what it's called. It'll come to me when I finish recording, I'm sure. And so I labor through the night. So they start me on the balloon and the oral medication at about 11. And I labor through the night until about 4 a.m. At 4 a.m. they come in and they're like, hey, we're probably ready to start you on Pitocin. And Pitocin is something that, I mean, it, it makes your uterus contract. And as far as I understand it, and I'm sure that there's, you know, medical people listening where I'm totally wrong. But what I learned in my birth class is that basically your body, when you're in labor without any interventions, when your body just, you know, goes into labor and starts contracting, you have this feedback loop of oxytocin. So your your uterus contracts. And then when it relaxes, you get this, this oxytocin. And that is kind of the that's like the, the, the sauce. That's what keeps you going through unmedicated contractions because you have that rest period in between your contractions. And you don't have that when you're on Pitocin. Your uterus contracts and it stays basically contracted. And it's, they're, they're all, they also come quicker and they're stronger than a, an unmedicated contraction. However, I was still very much wanting to not get the epidural. So I'm contracting on Pitocin starting at about, I would say at about 4.35 o'clock. And I just have, I have to pat myself on the back because I was handling it. Okay. I was handling these Pitocin contractions and I was so proud of myself. I mean, I was up, I was walking around and Gray was very much involved with all of my labor and delivery. And that was another thing that I really wanted out of this birth was for it to feel like a team effort. It was just me and him in there for the entirety of labor and delivery. It was just us two and my nurse and my midwife. And at about seven o'clock, I got a new nurse. And if she's listening, I don't know if I can say her name. Is that, I don't think, I, I don't know. Is that HIPAA? What's HIPAA? Do I have to follow HIPAA? I don't know. <laughs> I won't say her name just in case, but I got this incredible nurse starting at about 7 a.m. was when her shift started. And she was the most attentive, kindest, most encouraging person. And I feel very intimately tied to her because she was obviously there for the biggest event of my life. And so, yeah, so I'm I'm laboring on Pitocin and that's when they come in and they say, we're probably ready to break your water. But of course, my amazing nurse who had read my birth plan, she was like, hey, are you sure you want your water broken? And I was like, you know what? We're at this point. Let's get things going. I'm okay with my water being broken. So when I'm at about a four, they break my water. Birth is so liquid. I can't even believe it. It was a water sport, basically. Like there was so much fluid happening. And when they broke my water, it was actually a very cool feeling. I did not hate it at all. <laughs> I didn't hate it. It was like a really big release of pressure. And then I heard, like, you like hear it. You like hear the splashes. 
like there's a splash zone. And anyway, so they break my water. And that was when shit got very real, very fast after my water was broken. So I, I, I continue to labor and they're kind of bumping up my Pitocin. They're kind of adjusting it, but the contractions are coming really quickly and they're really quite intense, more intense than, than I, than I anticipated. And I don't mean that they are like the most painful thing in the entire world. I'm, I'm not saying that they were just intense. It was a lot of pressure. I mean, obviously it's like, it's all the pressure in your, in your pelvis. I mean, you have this child that's ready to come out of you. And I, I always wanted people to describe what contractions felt like because I never really got a clear idea of what they were. They felt very similar to period cramps for me, just on a different level, just on a much more intense level, a lot more pressure. And that was what I kept saying through the the, the entirety of my labor. I was just like, that is so much pressure. It's so, so, so much pressure. And I was breathing through them and I did that for a few hours. And then at about, I would say about two o'clock, gosh, I hope I'm remembering all of this right. I am. Okay. At about, I would say at about like two o'clock, they, they started getting really, really intense and it kind of started to make me anxious. Like I kind of started to feel a little bit outside of my body, a little bit out of control. And that was when they offered me some fentanyl, fentanyl. That's what it was. It was fentanyl. And so when they, when they do that, they basically give it to you to, you know, bring down your anxiety. They had actually given it to me when I had gotten my first Foley bulb inserted. Like it just, it brings the anxiety down. So they put me on some fentanyl and it really, really helps with the anxiety. I had tried some, what's the lat, what's laughing gas? Nitrous oxide. I didn't like the nitrous oxide just because I didn't like having something in my mouth. It felt like I was scuba diving. So I, I didn't like the, the nitrous oxide. So I decided to get some fentanyl. They, they gave me some fentanyl and I looked at my boyfriend and I just said, listen, when they check me next, when they do my next cervical check, if I'm not to like a seven, I think I'm going to need some pain management here. And it was so much. I didn't know if my body could do it for as long as it was taking because I was only at about a five. Like I had, you know, done the Foley bulb and they had gotten me to a four and then I was at like a five the next time they checked me. And I personally wanted the cervical checks. You can say no to any cervical check. Just by the way, if you don't want a cervical check, you don't have to get it. I wanted to know where I was at. So when they offered it, I I took it. I didn't find them very uncomfortable. I just, I wanted to know where I was dilated to. So I said, if I'm not to a seven, you know, after these few hours of laboring, I, I think I might need need to to take the epidural. And so they check me and I'm at about a five and a half. And I just, I knew that I was just tired. I, I didn't think that I was going to be able to do another, you know, seven or eight hours of the Pitocin contractions without a little bit of relief. And I know that people have done it. You know, people do a no epidural birth on Pitocin all the time. And I was really hopeful that I was going to be able to do it. And it was actually kind of like, I felt really stupid when I had to ask for the epidural. And I felt like I had failed it just, it felt like my body couldn't do it. It felt like, you know, it felt like there were all of these things that my body couldn't do. And it was really, really discouraging. Like I felt like my, you know, starting with the high blood pressure thing and the needing to get induced, I just, I felt like it was things that my body was supposed to do right. And it wasn't doing them. You know, my blood pressure was too high. My, I wasn't able to carry her 40 weeks 
and I should have been, you know, in my mind, that's what I'm, I, I'm not saying that I actually should have been. It was just in my mind, I should have been able to carry her 40 weeks. I should have been able, able to labor at home. I should have been able to do it without the epidural, all these shoulds that I had built up in my mind that were just self-imposed. So I was at about a five and a half. And now that I'm thinking about it, that was when they gave me the fentanyl was when I was at a five and a half because they can give it to you before you're six centimeters. So they gave it to me while I waited for the epidural. And we we just, we breathed through me and, and Gray and my midwife and my nurse, we breathed through a handful of really, really, really intense contractions while we waited for her, the anesthesiologist to get there. So the, and sorry, that word is so long. Anesthesiologist gets there and she starts setting up for the epidural. So I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, like with the kind of table in front of me. And I'm holding, you know, my boyfriend's hand in one hand and my midwife in the other hand. And I've got my amazing nurse with me there. And we're breathing through these while she's doing the epidural. Mind you, I'm on fentanyl and I'm also going through some pretty intense you know, labor experiences. But when you get your epidural, you have to hold completely still. So I'm sitting there completely dazed on the fentanyl, trying to breathe through these contractions while sitting still. And she's doing the epidural and it's not, you know, it's not, she's not like, I don't know what the word is, like getting it in the right spot. But you also have to talk to the anesthesiologist and say like, yes, that's in the middle or yes, I feel that on this side or this side or whatever. So I'm trying to talk. It was, it was a very, very overwhelming experience to have all of those things going on. Contracting the fentanyl, getting the epidural, breathing through it, trying to communicate with everybody. It was a lot. It was a lot. And so finally she she finishes. She's like, okay, the epidural is in. At that exact moment, at that exact moment, I feel like the needle came out of my back and she said, or no, sorry. <laughs> and I said, oh, I need to push like right now. Like right this moment, I need to push. There is, there is a bowling ball weight in my butthole and I have to push. And like I said it to the anesthesiologist because she, like the, the midwife and my nurse, I think had left the room for a minute because they were like, okay, she's got the epidural. It's going to be a while. And I turned and I was like, oh, I need to push now. And she was like, okay, that might be the baby. And I was like, yeah, I think it is the baby. I think it's the baby like needing to come out. So I call my nurse, they call the midwife to come back in and I'm ready to push like right then, which means I was dilating from, you know, about a six to like, I don't know, a nine or a 10 while I was sitting. I mean, this is, this is what I understand happened because I was a five and a half when I called for the epidural. And then by the time the epidural was done, I was ready to push and I was at a 10. So I was sitting on the edge of the bed on fentanyl dilating from a six to a 10, trying to hold completely still. Like I was, I was having to hold completely still during that transition time. So she comes in and she's like, yeah, you're ready to push right now. This is when I kind of started to feel the epidural kick in. I started to feel it in my hips and I started to feel just enough that it was really alleviating like the anxiety, just the anxiety of kind of how overwhelming it was. And so she gets her gown on. She's like, you're ready to push. So this was at about three, that 3 p.m. that I was ready to push. So we get all set up. I get my legs up in the air and I start pushing. And I'm like, okay, this process is going to take a long time. Like, I mean, it's going to, I'm going to push for a few hours, whatever. I'm, I'm probably going to push till like tomorrow. Like my nurse, she was like, I'm off at seven. I hope you have her before then. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to be pushing for a long time. Like there's no way. 
So at about 3.15, I would say is when I started to push. And that was when the experience really kind of started to lighten up for me because I had a little bit of pain management, but still enough sensation that I was very aware of what was going on. And I was still feeling, you know, the baby descend and I was feeling her crowning and I was, I was feeling that. And that was something that I wanted to experience. Obviously, why else would I want an unmedicated labor if I didn't want to feel it? And so I push about every five minutes for like some, some big, big pushes. So about, I would say about eight times I did like three really big pushes and she was born at 4.02 on December 23rd. That moment, I mean, it's, it's the, it, I have no words for that feeling of when they pull her out of you and they put her on your chest and you're looking at her and you're looking at, you know, your partner and you're seeing your daughter for the first time. I mean, it is, it is heaven. I mean, it is really, it is, it is not even earthly what it felt like to hold her for the first time. And I think I had a question on there. Somebody asked me if I tore, Uh, I had it. Well, I had one stitch, which I was really proud of. I was like, okay, some, maybe some of these, maybe some of these exercises came in handy. But yeah, I had a stitch and by the time they were taking her off of me to weigh her and everything, they left her on me for, you know, as long as I wanted, I, I asked them to leave her on me for her testing and whatever they, I could keep her on me for. I wanted her there. We did skin to skin. She did skin to skin with her dad. It was the most magical thing ever. I, I can't even handle what I was feeling then. And then they took her and they weighed her. She was almost eight pounds. So she was three weeks early and she was seven pounds, 14 ounces or let's see, 15 ounces. Yeah. Cause she was one ounce away from being eight pounds. She was technically LGA large for her gestational age my girl. Um, but they actually thought I was probably a little bit further along in my pregnancy than they think I was probably 38 weeks because they did a bunch of testing on her and she was fine. She was just big. But yeah, they thought I was, I, I was originally due January 12th and they think I was probably due January 5th, which I had heard earlier in my pregnancy. They were thinking about changing my due date. So yeah, they just kind of confirmed that I was a little bit further along than, than maybe I had initially thought. So yeah, she was perfectly healthy, Every test came back normal. They did, you know, some tests because she was big. They had to do like blood sugar tests, um, which were, you know, she did great on. And it was, it was really just a magical experience. After the birth, when they moved me over to like mom and baby or whatever the, you know, maternity, I don't know, whatever the second place I went was in my mind, I was like, okay, that was, that was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted. Everything about the birth was exactly what I wanted. And I, you know, I got to have, you know, some pain relief, but I was still able to have so much sensation. And, you know, I labored unmedicated, which is what I wanted to do. And I'm so proud of it and all this stuff. And I was kind of in this like blissful state about it. Um, after a couple of days, when I went home, I, I really didn't love staying at the hospital. I think a lot of people want to stay there. Like they, they want to stay at the hospital for as long as possible. I wanted to get home. Like I wanted to be in my own space. We were out of there 24 hours, almost to the hour that she was born. Like we stayed as long as was mandatory. And then we were out of there. Like I was like, I will recover better in my own bed with my own space and see, you know, having or being able to have like my mom come over and whatever. And also my boyfriend is sleeping on like a chair. Like I'm like, this is not good for any of us. So I wanted to get home. In those next few days, the first few days home, I really descended quickly into some pretty, like into a really bad, like I was really depressed. Like I was really, really, really depressed. 
And it came kind of fast. It came like those first couple nights. During the day, I was okay. And I was, you know, getting through it and I was adjusting to having a newborn at home. But at about four or five o'clock in the evening, some really, really intense anxiety would set in. It just, your body is so out of whack because you just gave birth, obviously. And then you're also trying to learn how to take care of a newborn and everything was so overwhelming. And it was also Christmas. (laughs) It's also Christmas. But yeah, so it was really, really hard. It was really hard. And I would call friends and I tried to reach out to people and I tried to be very open about how I was feeling because it felt kind of dark. Like, and I just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I knew that postpartum anxiety and depression were very common and I needed to be really aware of that. Let's fast forward to, I'm about 10 days postpartum and I'm nursing and the nursing is just not working like it it just wasn't it wasn't working it wasn't going how i thought it would go <laughs> once again i learned that lesson baby is just she's not latching how i thought she would she's not gaining weight i mean we had done her like her newborn check which was when she was like 4 days old and uh, she had you know lost a little bit of weight which was normal but then she wasn't getting back up to her birth weight and she wasn't eating and i was i was in pain also like my nipples were hurting and I was also getting intense dread whenever my milk let down, which is common. And for the mental state that I was in, it was really, really hard to cope with. It was hard to nurse. And like when when she would wake up in the night and I knew that I was about to take my shirt off and nurse, like I can't even tell you like the the toll it was taking on me mentally. And before I had her, I would say things like, yeah, I'm not super attached to breastfeeding. Like if it's working out, I'll do it. But if not, it's fine. But for some reason, when I was actually doing it, it became a much more emotional game than I thought it would. And thinking that nursing was not going how I thought it would go. And like, you know, it it, it just, it was, it was so different. It wasn't, it, it wasn't good. And then I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop because I felt again, like my body should be able to do this. Why can't my body do this? Like, it was just this, the list kept growing of all these things that I can't do. And I was so, so defeated. And I decided to take her into a lactation consultant because I thought she maybe had a tongue tie or something that was going on with her. And that's why she wasn't latching or why she wasn't eating enough because my milk supply was fine. I was pumping a little bit and I was getting plenty. And I I didn't really have any concrete reason why she wasn't eating. And so we go to the lactation consultant, had her checked for a tongue tie, no tongue tie. They even had a pediatrician come in, no tongue tie. Like it it wasn't, it wasn't anything except that it just wasn't working. She was unbelievably fussy every time I tried to get her on the boob. So like in the middle of the night, I'm trying to get her to eat and she won't do it. She won't do it. I was sobbing every single time I had to nurse because first of all, I, I felt really, really depressed maybe even a step beyond that (laughs) every time my milk came in. And then she was fussing the entire time and she wasn't eating. And on day 11, I was 11 days postpartum. I came home from something and I got a, I got a really bad chill. I started to get to get the chills really, really bad. And I took my temperature and I I had a really high temperature. I had like 101 temperature. I called my midwife and she said, yeah, you got to go to Instacare. So I go to the Instacare and of course I have mastitis 
and I'm in a ton of pain. I, my, my tits, I can't even, oh, the pain was the, honestly, that pain was, that pain was wild. Like I felt worse, you know, getting mastitis and nursing. And that whole process was worse for me than my entire pregnancy. I'm just putting in a little caveat here. That is not the case for everybody. A lot of people have very, very, very different experiences nursing. Don't take my experience and think that this is how yours will be. This is purely personal. So I go to the ER and I have to sit at the ER for like six hours until they can see me. What they were worried about because of my high blood pressure was they were worried about postpartum preeclampsia. They didn't think it was just mastitis. They thought it might've been systemic mastitis, which meant it could have been in other parts of my body, or I could have been preeclamptic because I had really, really high blood pressure when I went in. So I had to go to the ER and I had to be away from baby. And that was really like sad. It was sad because I was there all day and I hadn't been away from her at that point for more than like 20 minutes. And I was having just the most overwhelming waves of anxiety and some, some really like, it was like probably the darkest day that I had in all of postpartum was that day at the hospital, because I knew that that was probably going to be the last straw for me nursing. And I was going to have to give it up because I was in such a bad place mentally and baby wasn't eating or gaining weight. And I just, I knew that I had to take care of myself or I wasn't going to be able to function as a person, let alone a parent. And so anyway, I stay there for a few hours. They get me on an antibiotic and I go home and I grapple with this decision to give up nursing so soon, like for, for days. Like I, I kept pumping because I wasn't sure if I wanted to give it up. Shout out to everybody who exclusively pumps. That shit is no joke. I mean, it is hard to exclusively pump. I was doing that for a couple days and it was really, really, really hard. And at about the two week mark is when I finally had to call it. And I had to say, who am I doing this for? Who am I doing this for? She's not liking it. I'm not liking it. This is not something that I need to suffer through every moment of the day. And so finally I, I say, okay, we're switching. We're switching to formula. And I go in for my two-week appointment with my midwife a couple days later and she walks in and she's like, okay, so how was it? How was birth? How was labor and delivery? And how has it all been? And I am immediately in the most intense sobs of my entire life. I mean, I am, I, I finally kind of process everything that happened in the last couple of weeks and how badly I was struggling. And you just, you hear about postpartum depression and anxiety and you just, you think that you can kind of eke by it. You know, you just think, well, I can probably handle that, especially because I had had such a low anxiety pregnancy. I was like, I will probably be fine. Um, bitch was not fine. Okay. I was not fine. I really opened up to my midwife about, you know, the things that I had been feeling all the way back from, you know, the day I found out that I was going to be induced and how kind of out of whack my body felt and my brain felt and that I just was not, I, I wasn't okay. I was so, so not okay. You know, to the point of where I was talking to my mom and to my boyfriend and saying things like, I don't, I don't think I can do it. Like I really, I really don't think I can. Like, I don't know what to do because I don't think that I can do this. I, I just, I, and, and I'm here and I'm, I'm in the middle of this and something that, that my boyfriend would say that, w- that we actually learned in our birth class was, you know, when you're in the middle of labor and delivery and when you're saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, you know, to remind yourself and have your partner remind you that you're doing it. You know, you may think that you can't do it, but you are already doing it. You're already in the middle of it. You've already done more than you think 
And that was really like a, a good reminder. And he was really great at reminding me of that and, you know, keeping me afloat because there were a lot of nights where I was nursing and where, you know, he, he couldn't help me because I was nursing. Like that was the only way that she was eating. And, you know, I, I just would say, I don't think, I don't think that I can like live. Like, I don't think I can like get through this. Like I really, really, really don't. And so I told my midwife that and she was like, well, she's like, this doesn't sound like, you know, baby blues. This sounds a lot, a lot more intense. It sounds like you're experiencing some pretty heavy stuff. Let's get you medicated. And again, (laughs) just something that I didn't have in the plan. You know, I've said before that I've been off of antidepressants for a long time and I was able to get myself off of them and get to a really good place mentally and I I had to I had to get back on something. I had to get back on some medication. And I won't go too into like the medication talk. I feel like that conversation has kind of been had before. Like we, you know, I don't think anybody should feel shame about being on them or anything like that. I just I I had just been on antidepressants my whole life. And when I got off them, I felt really good and I didn't, I didn't want to get back on them, but I had to, I had to. Like I I really had to start kind of being realistic about where I was at mentally. So that was at my two-week appointment. And I got back on my medication and I stopped nursing and I was able to sleep more because I was able to give her to her dad and he was able to feed her because we were bottle feeding now. And slowly kind of day by day, I started to feel more like a normal person. And I just didn't know what this whole experience would feel like. It was so different because on top of feeling so low and so scared and so down and, you know, all these other really, really hard emotions. I was also the happiest I had ever been and like the most whole and the most secure and the most like nothing else mattered to me except this baby. Like I knew that I had no other, nothing else could possibly matter as much. Everything else was bullshit. It was just her. She was the most important thing. She still is. And like feeling that connection I feel, I feel so lucky. I feel so close to her. I know a lot of moms when they deal with postpartum, they don't have that connection with their baby right away. I didn't feel that. I felt very close to her. I feel very close to her still. And it it was just, it it was a, a huge mind warp to be feeling so many emotions all at once. But after that, after I was able to kind of start getting back on top of like sleep and on top of all, you know, all of that, I started to feel like myself again. And now I'm, I mean, by the time this comes out, I'll be, you know, a few like seven weeks postpartum. And I can honestly say that I feel like I have a handle on it. Like I, I know that, you know, having a baby and parenting, it will bring a plethora of different things. And, but she is a wonderful baby. I mean, and I was writing, like, I'm trying to journal as much as I can about her. I have a baby book. I'm, you know, and I feel like she is doing her best to make this as easy on me as possible. Like she is such a gorgeous, just a gorgeous baby. I just feel like her temperament is so sweet. You know, she's, she's a baby, like she does baby things, but she, you know, like she doesn't sleep through the night and all that. But I just feel this like closeness and connection with her. And I feel like, I, I don't know, it is it is really something special that I, I don't think I can ever describe. And I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, when you hear other people talk about the newborn phase before you have kids, you kind of tune them out because it's so many huge emotions that you can't really process. 
as just a normal person without kids. Like that's how I felt before I had kids. Like people like I, everybody in my life has kids. I know about newborns. I know, but I didn't know. I didn't know about newborns. I didn't know about the newborn phase. I didn't know how, you know, how tired I would be. I didn't know how happy I would be. I didn't know how relentless the newborn phase was. But of course, I I couldn't have even imagined the the wonderful things that come with it. So that is kind of in a nutshell what these last few months have been. I want to go into some questions that you guys had about these and I want to answer them. I mean, Again, I think I answered a lot of them. You guys were wondering about pain management and all of these things, or you know, if it was a surprise, if I went into labor, all of those ans- or all of those questions, I believe, have been answered. But of course, the number one, <laughs> the number one question that I'm getting is, what's her name? My baby's name is Coco, and that's her nickname. It's not her full name, but we call her Coco, and she's magical. She's magical. I went back and forth if I was going to share her name, and. I had a lot of anxiety when I shared the initial photo of her. I still stand by that I will not be sharing pictures of her. That's just for for her, for me. Her name, you know, I was like, how, you know, how realistic is it to keep her name like a secret forever? Probably not super realistic, but as far as posting pictures of her, I really, you know, I plan on keeping keeping her very off of my social media. And again, you know, who knows what what the future will bring but that's where I'm at right now. So our little Coco got here, yeah, December 23rd. And we have a bunch of different nicknames for her. We call her Coconut. We call her Coco Puff. We call her Coco Pop. We call her Hot Coco, everything. But it was the name that felt the the best to us. We went through a lot of different names. When I was pregnant, we would try out different names. We'd call her call her different things. There, there were a lot of names that were almosts. And when we landed on Coco, I was like, oh, that's that's it. I don't know if that name feels anticlimactic to anybody. <laughs> like, I don't know. I I had some like really weird names. I had some really classic names. Uh, but again, it just felt, it felt right. Uh, I, I felt very sure that that was her name. So there you go. There it is. That was of course the number, the number one question. What did you wear home from the hospital? I just wore sweats. I got to say, I was very, very overprepared in every possible way. More overprepared than I will be if I have another baby. I I mean, I overpacked for the hospital. I overstocked her her nursery. I did like the little bedside cart with the diapers and the diaper cream and the thermometer. I really didn't use basically anything that I that I thought I would. Like I had a whole postpartum cart like prepped. I didn't really use that that much. However, I don't regret prepping that much because it was so fun to do and it was really good for morale. Like when I was pregnant, I was prepping my hospital bag and all of that. It was awesome. Like if I were to do it again, like if I were to do this exact labor and delivery again, I would pack like maybe like a toothbrush and some face wash and some body wash and a clean outfit. Like I really didn't, I mean, I really packed, like I brought like travel sized everything. I acted like I was, I don't know, like going to the jungle for three weeks. So yeah, I really didn't need to prep that much, but again, it felt really fun to prep. So I don't, I don't regret it. And I'm not going to tell people like, oh, you don't need, you know, this and that and that. Like I liked it. I liked doing it. I liked putting all that stuff together and putting her nursery together. And yeah, I don't use the changing pads that I thought I would use every single night. You know, I just change her on our bed if she needs a change. But yeah, I liked doing all of that. Okay, next. What is something that happened that nobody told you about? I feel like so much of it I was told about. But again, so many things are different for so many people. It would be hard for me to be like, oh yeah, 
this is going to happen. The only thing that really kind of surprised me was again, how much fluid there was because, you know, first your water breaks and then, you know, you're, you're like dripping that. And then when you, after you have the baby, they usually come in and do like fundal massages, which is the top of your uterus. So they push and they make sure that you're, you know, getting, you know, bleeding appropriately and peeing appropriately and all of that. So anyway, that, that was something that I, I didn't expect. And there's just, there's so much that can be so different for everybody. So while you hear birth stories and when you listen to my birth story and you hear your friends or whatever, maybe take it in and listen and all of that, but really don't get too attached. I think that that was something that I obviously struggled with is that I was so attached to what I thought my birth would be. And I didn't really leave any room for flexibility, even though I said, it. I was like, yeah, I'm flexible. It's whatever. No, it wasn't. No, I wasn't. I was not flexible. And I wish that I had had that kind of flexible mentality and kind of taken it as it came. I accepted a new mantra during this whole process, which is let go or be dragged. That's that's as simple as it is. You know, I could let go of nursing or be dragged around by it forever. And letting go was was really something that I needed to do. Okay, let's see. What are good gifts for mom after giving birth? Let's go over a couple different price tiers that you can do. Let's go over the free option for people postpartum, texting them and caring about their postpartum experience. I want to read a text from my friend, Courtney, who she sent me this. And I thought it was just the best example of a postpartum text. She said, how are you doing? How's sleep and how's your mental health and breastfeeding and healing? No pressure to respond. Just know I care about your postpartum experience. I'm here to chat about any and all of it if you ever want to. That's such a great text to get when you're postpartum. She said, no need to respond, but I care about your experience because really after I had the baby, all I wanted to do was talk about it. All I wanted to do was tell everybody every detail of what was going on. And I still feel that way. I still only want to talk about my baby. I want to talk about sleep schedules and eating schedules and changing schedules and clothes that I'm going to buy her and things that she's doing and what she looks like. Like that is the only thing that I want to talk about. And when I have somebody reach out and they say, Hey, I want to talk about this thing with you. I felt really, really supported. Sending food or treats or anything of the sort is obviously a wonderful thing that you can do. That's, you know, the next tier of cost. That's not free. Like I, the day I went to the ER, when I got mastitis, Lucy sent me cheesecake. Like she was like, Hey, there's cheesecake on your porch. Just FYI, not having to think about it and not having to choose a meal or a treat was so helpful. Like just sending something like I didn't even care what it was. Like if it's just a treat, if it's like, if it's a few groceries, if it's like somebody sent me milk and bread and eggs, that would have been great. Like my parents brought that over the next day. Like they just brought random food over. And I was like, yes, I don't even care. I didn't want to think about, I didn't want to like think about an order. You know, I didn't want to have to get everybody's orders and send them it. Like just sending it was awesome. And then there's like the next tier, which is like, if you can afford it, like hiring somebody to clean their house, like that's obviously a huge, huge thing. Hiring their or paying for their laundry to be sent out or something like those things all cost money and you absolutely do not have to do them. Honestly, like the most ultimate gift I wish I could give every single postpartum mom is to hire a night doula to at least have one night with a night doula who can come and feed the baby and, you know, help in any way and do baby laundry and wash bottles or whatever it is. But that's like, that's, that's an expensive thing. But if you can, if you can swing it, if you're a parent who can afford it and like you can, you're giving it to your child who just had a baby, that is unbelievable. But 
as far as just being supportive and listening, and I just felt like I was bugging everybody when I only wanted to talk about birth. And then I would express that to my friends who had kids and they were like, no, we get it. We get it. Like now in group messages and things like, I just want people to send pictures of their kids. I just want to send pictures of my kid. Like that's the only thing I want to do. So being there and listening and being invested in their birth and their postpartum and their newborn experience is awesome. Okay. This one is, is a really good question. How did you know that you wanted a baby? I think I said this in my episode with Ash at the beginning of the year, but I had a very, very distinct feeling of, I am ready to have a baby and I want a baby with this person. And I don't know if that's because I was, you know, post-divorce, but I did not ever have that urge throughout my 20s or even in my marriage. Do with that information what you will. But I just, I did not have that kind of biological push that I wanted to have a baby. And so when I had it, it was very clear. I was like, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready for a baby. You know, because of our situation, because we got pregnant really fast, I think a lot of people think it was like a whoops. It wasn't. It was not a whoops. It was absolutely, we knew that it was going to happen. It was something that we had discussed. It was something that we wanted. It was not a like, oh my gosh, we're accidentally together now. It was like, no, we're going to be together. Should we have a baby now? Yeah, let's do it. So yeah, that was how I knew. And I think that the overarching thing that I've learned is that if you do want a baby, if that's something that you want, you know, and you're not feeling that that push, if you're not feeling that overwhelming sense of like, oh, it's time, it, it might be something that you just, you know, find a, a, a good time like financially or a good time in your relationship or something like that to pursue that. And I think that people can have absolutely wonderful, fulfilling lives without kids. I do not think that it is the only way to like your life. I don't think it's the only way to be happy. I think that if you believe that that is something that you want, then it will absolutely be a happy path for you, but it's not required to have a fulfilling life. Okay, next one. Who was in the room? I think I said this. It was just my boyfriend and I. What was he like during the birth? He was so, he actually like like held her head as it came out of me. (laughs) They asked me, they were like, do you want to touch it? I was like, no. And he did. And he cut the cord and he said he felt like a boxing coach when I was laboring, like because he was, you know, kind of, I wanted him like, you know, involved in like in my face and being like, okay, we got this. Just breathe, just breathe. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, have you experienced postpartum rage or night sweats? Night sweats? No. Postpartum rage? A little bit, a little bit. I actually want to even say it's rage. I would say it's kind of just my normal amount of rage. I think it's, it's feminine rage, not necessarily postpartum (laughs) rage. Next one. It's so funny because I can tell by the questions being asked who is a parent and who isn't. All of the moms are in my DMs like, are you okay? How are you holding up? And all the people without kids are like, yes, queen. What's her name? What's your favorite outfit to put her in? I just love it so much. Okay, next one. What was the high point and low point of my birthing experience? Um, The high point was, of course, meeting her. I mean, that was unbelievable. Like I said, it's really just... It's like you're on a different planet. And then the lowest point, it was probably, honestly, I think it was was when I found out that I had to be induced. That was probably the shock of that. And the initial receiving of the information was the hardest part. How much do you trust your mom's advice? I trust my mom's advice 1 million billion percent. 
I have called her every single day. I call her every day with every update you can possibly imagine. I let her know every hour that she slept. I let her know everything she did. And I want to say while we're talking, sorry, I'm going back, but while we're talking about prep and baby items, I think there was a question on here. Like what baby items do I love? I love a baby gadget. Okay. I love a baby gadget. I have the outlet sock. I love it. I love that I can see her heart rate, her oxygen level. I have a snoo, which I rented, by the way. If you're on the fence about a snoo, look on Facebook Marketplace and rent it. I paid like 80 bucks to have it for three months. I did not want to spend $1,500. However, I would spend that much. I would. I would spend that much on the snoo. I love it. It changed her sleep. It changed my sleep. I have the baby monitor. I love a gadget. Okay. I just, I live for them. I know a lot of people are like, no, I'd want to do it this way or that, you know, do it however you want. But for my peace of mind, I liked having all of the little, the little gadgets. So yeah, I call my mom every day and I'm like, okay, she rolled over it. Well, she didn't roll over. (laughs) She's not rolling over. She moved at this time. She did this. She sniffled here. She did this. She slept from this block to this or this time to this time. She gave me this long of a block. Like it, it's awesome. I love having all of those, all those little, little things. A lot of you guys are pregnant and you're wondering about the pain. Honestly, it's, it's intense. It's an intense experience that you can absolutely handle. So much of it is mental. So much of it is fear-based. My number one thing that I hope that all women know is don't be scared of labor and delivery. You don't need to be scared of it. You, you can do it. I, I promise you. Like I labored unmedicated on Pitocin for, I don't know, hours. Something that a year ago, if you would have told me I was going to do that, I would have laughed in your face. Like, but you can do it. And it is, it is not, it's not an emergency. Obviously there are scenarios where, you know, you need a C-section or you need interventions or you are in my position where the baby does need to come out or, you know, there's all of these things, but at the end of the day, your body is okay. It's going to be okay through this. And we have this like gap in empowerment for some reason. Like we empower women in all these different ways. But for some reason, when it comes to labor and delivery, there's this like air of fear around it. And I just don't believe in that. And now that I've done an induction, I wouldn't ever choose an induction. Like if I have another baby, I, I wouldn't choose to be induced. But hey, I might, my blood pressure might be high again. Who knows? But I believe more than ever now how capable my body is. And it with my next one, I will definitely pursue an unmedicated, you know, low intervention birth again. Like that will be my goal again, just because it it feels right. And I'm sorry, I don't have any more, any more information than that, except that it feels right. And if going to the hospital and getting the epidural right away and all that feels sparkly and right to you, then you should absolutely do that. And that is exactly what your body and brain wants and needs. And you should not fight it just because somebody else did it a certain way. You should do it exactly how you want and you can do it. You absolutely can. What products do you actually need? So yeah, like I said, sorry, I just <laughs> I just jumped right into the next question. What products do you actually need? Yeah, so the things I use the most for sure are like a white noise machine. I use the humidifier a lot just because it's so dry here. Yeah, the outlet sock, the snoo, the baby monitor, and then diapers and wipes and clothes. Those are really it. Oh, and the snuggle me. I use the snuggle me like when she she lays in that a lot. But yeah, those are kind of, those are the main ones. We have a swing that, you know, a lot of my stuff, I would say 80% of the things that I own were given to me from friends. They're secondhand or they're from Facebook marketplace. So don't feel the need to spend a ton of money. Like the snoo is like $1,500. Like I said, I rented it. Like you do not need to 
like try a million different things and buy a million different things. Like initially I had the Mamaru because Meg had the Mamaru and she was done using it. So she gave it to me and like, I, I could have found it secondhand for way cheaper. Just find as much secondhand as you can. Sorry, not, I could find it cheaper than what I got. Meg gave it to me. I could have found it cheaper than full price if I didn't have somebody who was giving it to me. So yeah, there's just, there's a million different options for not spending a ton of money. Okay. Let's see. Advice, advice that I would give first time moms. I mean, I'm in the thick of it, so I can't really say exactly, but just survive those first four weeks, those first four weeks. And everybody told me that. And I felt so discouraged when they would say that, when they would say, Hey, just get through these first four weeks. I'd be like, no, I need it to get better right now. I need it to get better. But listen, it's inevitable that the time will pass. You will be okay. You will get through it. The baby will start sleeping more. She's all my my baby's already sleeping more. She gives me, you know, five, six hour stretches at night. Like I said, she's an angel. But yeah, it will, it will be okay. It will be okay. That's what I wanted people to tell me. It's just, it will be okay. You can do it. You will do it. You're probably already doing it. Okay. Next one. How did I choose a stroller? A stroller. That's so funny because I was actually thinking the other day because I was out and about and I saw somebody with my same stroller and I was like, I literally want to sit down with every single mother and ask why they picked what stroller they did, why they picked the car seat that they did, the crib that they did, the rocker that they did. I want to know every detail about it. I picked one that was going to last a long time. That was really what I wanted. I got the Nuna and I think a lot of people like the Duna with a D trying to remember what exactly I'm looking up my exact stroller that I got. A lot of people like the Duna. Um, It's too short for me. It's too short. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't use it because it's made for people who are like five, five. And unfortunately I'm tall and my boyfriend's tall and it just wasn't going to work out. Okay. So the, Oh no, I don't have the Nuna. I don't know why I have the up a baby. I have the up a baby Vista and it was expensive and I had to afterpay that shit because I wanted it so bad, but it really is a great stroller and it's got like the bassinet attachment, the car seat attachment. It can turn into a double stroller eventually. So that's what I wanted. I wanted something that's going to last us like the next five years. A lot of people asked if I pooped. I did not poop. I looked my midwife in the eye and I said, listen, I need you to tell me exactly. And I, I trust my nurse. I trust her. If I, if I would have pooped, she would have told me I did not poop. And then let's talk about the postpartum poop or like the first poop post birth. Not bad. It was totally fine. Mind you, I was on laxatives my entire pregnancy and I just didn't go off them once I, once I had the baby and the first poop was totally fine. Just stay on those stool softeners, girl. You'll be okay. Don't miss a day. Like I know you think like, well, I'll just miss. No, don't miss a day. Cause it, it wasn't like the most comfortable thing. It's definitely like sensitive, but it was not, it was not like some people are like, it was worse than labor. No, it wasn't. It was totally fine. Okay. What has been something pleasantly surprising about postpartum and newborn life? The best part about it is how naturally a lot of things have come. A lot of it has not come naturally. Don't don't worry. It's not all perfect, but like that I feel so in tune with her and that I feel like I can really trust what I think is best for her has been the most awesome experience ever. Like the other night I was holding her, she wouldn't let me put her down, and I just thought like I think I need to wrap her in my shirt. I think I need to put my shirt by her so that she will sleep. And I put her down and she went right to sleep. Like weird things like that, where I'm like, I just feel like I understand this person. And I like, there are these little puzzles. There are these little puzzles that you have to put together. And I've described it like, (laughs) I've described it like gambling. Like 
Okay. So if you've ever gambled, like if you're sitting down at the blackjack table, the anticipation of like, am I going to get a good hand? Am I going to get a good hand? And then you get a good hand. It keeps you going. And that's how a baby is. Like when you have a win with a baby, like when, like we had to switch formulas and when I switched them and she ate the whole bottle and didn't have any reflux and like was happy and full, I was like, oh my gosh, it was a win. It was a blackjack. Okay. And then the next night you're like, okay, is this going to be a winning night? Is she going to sleep a lot? Or are we going to have a losing hand? <laughs> am I going to get, a, am I going to get a 13? Like, what is it going to be? And like all of those small wins feel so monumental. Like her ha- taking a long nap or having a good stretch at night or eating a whole bottle or, you know, pooping a big poop, like all those little wins feel so exciting. And just figuring her out has been really, really fun because it just, it feels so right. You know, it feels so right. And my mom said something that I thought was so awesome because after my two week appointment where I needed to get back on antidepressants, I, I called my mom and I felt so sad because I just, I want Coco to have a happy mom. That's what I want for her life. I want her to remember me as happy. And I was so not happy and I felt so guilty about it that the beginning of her life was started off by me being sad. And my mom said to me, she said, what, what's amazing about the newborn phase is that you can be a perfect mom. You can be a perfect mom in the newborn phase. You can meet every single need and you can almost do everything right all the time. And that means that you're a perfect mom. And that really helped me. Like the fact that I'm meeting her needs and giving her what she wants and, you know, snuggling her as much as possible and letting her sleep on me, all of those things like that is that that's enough for her. And the rest will come later and we will build a relationship later. Like the relationship I feel with her now is like instinctual. You know, it's like, I love her instinctually. I don't love her based on a relationship that we've built. I love her because my body and brain and heart know that she's my child and like she's mine to love and protect. And that's a really awesome feeling. Okay. Let's see. Next one. Next question. Sorry. I'm just going through these. Uh, what was your experience while the epidural wore off? My epidural, Dural was so very light. I was up and walking probably about an hour after I had her. Um, like I got up and walked to my wheelchair for them to take me to the other room. Uh, it was very, it, it was not intense. A lot of people were like, oh, did you, was it worn off by the next morning? Like all the, like it was worn off pretty quick. I think I just had a very light epidural. I, I don't know. That's, that's what I, that's what I am inferring from my situation because I was up and walking around. Okay. Next one. Let's finish here. Sorry, I've gone on. I've gone on too, too long. But you know, like I said, I just can't stop talking about her. Okay. I feel like I feel like I've answered most of these. I'm trying to trying to think if there's anything else that I could add that would be helpful to anybody listening or interesting in any way. Okay, we'll end on this one. This one's like something that I don't think it's super interesting, but people are wondering about my postpartum body. (laughs) I think that so I, I again, I did a lot of those exercises leading up to my my labor and delivery, which I think were awesome. Like I, I really did try to you know stay active and do a lot of pelvic floor work. And honestly, like I like my body more now than I did before I got pregnant. Like I'm so proud of my body. I have some stretch marks. Like the belly is soft but she's cute and we're feeling healthy and we're feeling good. My boobs are basically back to my, my pre-pregnancy boobs. And that is because I obviously nursed 
or I obviously didn't nurse for very long. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with where my body is. I can't wait to like be active again and, and start like doing that. You know, I just, I'm about to have my six week appointment. So I'll be cleared for that and kind of get back into the swing of things. But overall where I am at right now, I am good. I am good right now. I, I don't want to downplay how, how intense the postpartum depression was. And obviously if you have ever experienced it, you know, but I feel really proud of myself for where I am now. I am so in love with this child. You guys, I love her so much. She is the sweetest and best thing that has ever happened to the world. And I know everybody, every mother feels that way about their child. And I'm so, so grateful to have such an awesome kid. And I, I like, this is who I am now. (laughs) This is who I am now. I am a mom. And you know, you guys have been with me through like every single life change of the last four years. And that has been hard for me that you guys have seen all of that. It's been embarrassing on a lot of levels. Like I don't like a lot of the changes that I went through. This is a change that I am so extremely proud of. And I can't wait to like talk more about motherhood and tell you guys about it. Like, again, like all I want to do is sit and talk about like her feeding schedule and like tell you guys about like the bottles that we use, like the Philips Avent or whatever has been the best bottle. And the, you know, mommy's bliss probiotics have really helped her tummy. And like all of these things that I really have loved learning about my kid and learning about motherhood and being able to connect with so many of you guys that are moms. And if you're not a parent, don't worry. I promise you, I will also continue normal bad broadcast content, but I am who I am now. And I'm so happy to be a mother. I just feel really lucky to be in this position and lucky to have the job that I have. I know that's not the point of this episode, but I feel so lucky to have the podcast and to share these parts of my life with you. And like, I don't know if me sharing this stuff is helpful at all. I hope it is. I hope that like, like somebody out there hears me say like, I hated breastfeeding and it was not for me and it didn't work out. And you just feel a little bit less alone. When I heard like people say that, or like, you know, I asked people like, Hey, did you like your induction? And when people would, you know, stand in solidarity with me, I just felt so much more human. And so I hope that hearing my experience, I don't want it to scare you. I do not believe that birth should be scary. If you are wanting to get pregnant, I I don't believe that any of this should be scary. You are meant to do it. You're the perfect mother for your child. And I'm trying to take my own advice when I feel down about, you know, the type of mom I am or whatever. I just remind myself that I am, you know, me and her are, are meant to be mother daughter. Like, you know, this bond is here for a reason and we're going to figure each other out. And I'm so lucky and so happy to have you guys to have the support of moms around me. And I'm going to wrap it up here. So if you guys have any other questions, if you want me to answer anything, please let me know. I will talk about any of this for as long as you guys will hear it for, but I'm so happy to be back and I will be back next week with another new episode. So I'm going to sign off here as always. Remember to be safe, be kind, be hot, Me and Coco love you. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you. So please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind the scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.